respect, always respecting one another in this house, in this hospital, I call it the house. We always respect one another. We all have something to contribute to the well-being of the patient. You're listening to Menders with clinical psychologist and leadership consultant, Dr. Nicola DePaul. Each week, get a dose of real-world inspiration from free-thinking leaders, top clinicians, healthcare innovators, and myself. Looking for quick fixes or standard management tools? Try someplace else. Motivated to maximize the resilience and diversity of your team? Sustain your momentum as a leader and transform your healthcare system? Welcome to Menders. Welcome back to Menders. Today we have Natalie Lamberton. And Natalie, you're the CEO of Denver Springs Behavioral Health Hospital. And you have a particular passion for both caring for your staff and for emerging leaders and helping them to really become full and fulfilled leaders. And you wrote a book about that. So I'm so delighted to have you here to share your story and really dig into emerging leadership. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, it is my absolute honor. So I wondered if you could just start us off by sharing a bit about you and your story. When you and I met before, you were sharing about what it was like to be a young black woman executive in a very white older male world. And I'd love to just have you share a bit about what that was like for you. You know, I was thinking about that question and um, my first CEO job, I was um, 29 and I was in a rural um, critical access hospital in Colorado in a town of 800 people. And um, I think I was the only African-American in the town. And um, going to meetings and things across the country and all of that, my counterparts or my contemporaries were more seasoned white males. And so it was a, it was sometimes very tough and lonely and isolating, um, to be kind of in that situation. Um, but I, I got a lot of, um, mentors and colleagues and friends, um, along the way, um, it was kind of trial by fire, and that's where I learned how to be a leader in the guts of a hospital um, in that role. But um, there, was no, there wasn't the DEI that we have now. That wasn't a priority 15 years ago. And so, you know, bringing up minorities through the ranks and making them uh, executives. And so I found myself being the only one a lot of the times in a lot of the meetings and so that took a, a a fair amount of grit to 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 deal with and to um, be the only one. But again, that experience really grew me as a person and as a leader. Um, uh, I, I think it was the most challenging time in my career, but some of the most rewarding times as well. So it was, it was, it was interesting, but very, very different 15 years later. I mean, what feels different to you now? 
you know, now, especially in healthcare, there's the movement for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And people are aware of um, growing people from within their organizations or bringing in people um, from the outside that are of color, um, that have the credential and the pedigree in order to do the jobs. And it's, it's, it's top of mind, that diversity and understanding that diverse backgrounds and diverse ways of thinking really brings um, about better organizations uh, because that diversity of thought and diversity of culture um, oftentimes is what reflects the community that we serve. I mean, what inspired you or gave you the courage to step into that initial CEO role, especially without any models for that? Well, I was, I was, I, I did somewhat have a model. I had a, um, a mentor and a preceptor. I did a, uh, uh, administrative fellowship the year prior, um, after grad school, getting my MBA, MHA. And I was able to shadow a man by the name of Roland Stacy for a year who was um, CEO of Poudre Valley Health System then at the time in Fort Collins, Colorado. And so I shadowed him for a year and I really learned how to be a CEO from him, came in and all of that. But to really learn how to be CEO, that's where I learned. And um, then uh, that system plucked me out of Fort Collins and put me into this rural facility. And with their support, um, I ran this hospital. So the system itself valued having you within the system and and was committed to promoting you and really continuing to use your skills. That's that's true. You know, I, I think it was a little bit of luck, a lot of hard work. And yeah, and they took a chance on me. So what do you think organizations are doing now? And so let me back up. So I know sometimes organizations are focused on DEI, but it can feel like an afterthought. What do you think organizations are doing now to identify diverse leaders from within their organization and, you know, and help foster those skills in a way that is different or more empowering than maybe most organizations were 15 or so years ago? I think organizations are very intentional now, um, whereas they weren't before. Um, organizations are assessing their culture and their structural element, and um, is it does it generate and foster a, a culture that's welcoming um, of all backgrounds and things like that? And I think that organizations are intentional in identifying good people that they can grow from within and that they can teach, grow, nurture, encourage, give the right skill sets in order to become executives in their particular organizations. But I think the key word is intention there. And that's what has changed over the last 15 years. So it's a totally different approach because that level of intentionality that wasn't present in the past is shaping that organizational behavior. Exactly. Beautiful. So I'm curious, I know you have a passion for emerging leaders. So how, how do you approach 
those leaders within your system or start to identify them with that level of intentionality? I round a lot. I I go out and I meet and greet my staff and I know them personally and I know them by name. And I really have conversations with them and say, you know, where do you want to go in this organization? What ultimately do you want to be? Um, are we... Um, providing you with the, the education and the opportunity to gain the skill sets that you want um, in order to um, work in this organization? Do you want to be a leader in the organization? It's really having intentional and open and honest conversations about where would you like to go in this organization and how can we get you there? So what do you think it is about you or how you approach those conversations that creates openness that allows your staff to respond with honesty. Cause I imagine for some organizations or some leaders, they might feel like they're running up against um, like the right response or like, you know, hearing responses that might be expected from employees, but not really like an honest, thoughtful, introspective conversation about their their reality or their real goals it's interesting the more senior executive you get the harder it is to garner honest feedback from uh, your employees and that's just kind of the reality of it Um, employees uh, don't necessarily want to tell you exactly what they're thinking and certainly they don't want to be critical necessarily of the ceo but i make it a point to I think trust is a key word to gain their trust and to really have them understand that I'm there for them. Um, I don't um, have employees that work for me. I work for my employees and I kind of have a servant leadership kind of philosophy. So they realize and know that I work for them. I come in here every day and say, what barriers can I take away and what resources can I give you? And singing that same song and walking that walk and being honest and true within that and growing those meaningful relationships and growing that trust. Then when you sit down and have these conversations, um, they tend to be quite candid with me. And that's, that's really refreshing. And I say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I'm still figuring out what I want to be when I grow up, but you know, it's, those open conversations saying, Hey, are you, are you happy here? Do you want to grow? Do you want to cross departmentally um, train? What, what does happiness and meaningfulness look like in this organization for you? Oh, that's just so beautiful. I love that you model that kind of humorous willingness to have a less than perfect answer or willingness to be in process, which I think is so powerful because we're, I mean, we're really moving away from that one track career to, to being so diverse in what we do as well. So I'm curious, how do you think your challenges that you experienced as that emerging leader, how does that influence you now or how you interact with your own staff now? You know, it's really interesting um, in that particular role and the subsequent roles My at the beginning of my career, um, I learned very quickly not to take everything so personally. I learned not to get upset, but to be thoughtful and inquisitive when pressed with difficult situations. 
especially related to race, age, and gender, and are feeling somewhat marginalized. And I learned to suspend anger and get to the crux of the situation and find out why the situation is the way it is. And what is that other person thinking and from where are they coming? And so I, I really learned um, kind of a global curiosity in, in those roles. And I, I think that's really served me well throughout my career. Would you be willing to share an example of that? Because, I mean, that, that's a pretty sophisticated skill to be able to take in a situation, sort of depersonalize it, and then reapproach it from the other person's perspective so that you can figure out a plan, like a, a constructive way forward. I, I do. I, have <laughs> I once had in one of my organizations an HR director call me colored. And instantly I was upset. And then I looked at her and her face was so innocent without having known she offended me whatsoever. And I just said, did you just call me colored? And she said, well, yes. And I said, you know, that's a little behind us now. And it's black or African-American that you should probably use moving forward. But I couldn't even be angry with her or mad at her because it was so innocent and so um, uh, not maliciously done that I suspended, you know, anger or being upset and said, okay, from where is she coming? And there weren't many African-Americans in town, if any at all, but myself. And, you know, it was just the way that it was. And so um, I knew that it didn't come from maliciousness and it was an opportunity for a learning moment. So you were really able to kind of see past the surface level of what she said to see her and then help her to learn and grow from that. Exactly. Exactly. That, I mean, that's a really, that's a really empowering and I think very gracious way to handle that. I guess something that comes up for me is like, how, how do you handle these situations when maybe the harm is not intended, but it's more along the lines of a microaggression or even an aggression? I mean, are, do you take the same perspective or what, what shapes your response to those kinds of interactions? You know, when it's a, when it's a micro or even a macro aggression, if that's a word, <laughs> or something that I think is done somewhat purposefully, you know, I've learned over the years to have courage and it takes courage to lead and you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable sometimes. And I've learned to be uh, straightforward. I've learned to be um, articulate when necessary and to get my thoughts across intelligently, but poignantly when needed. And sometimes that takes courage and that's just what I've learned to do. I don't leave stones unturned anymore when I'm marginalized. I always speak up. Wow. I imagine that's an incredibly powerful model for your employees as well. I would hope so. I would hope so. It's interesting you say that because courage 
courage has come up in a lot of my conversations with women leaders and, you know, in all kinds of different contexts, but what for you, what has given you, I guess, the confidence to be courageous in those moments? You know, I think having the leadership skill and the acumen, first, I have to be able to do my job and do it adequately. And I've done this long enough and for a number of years, and I'm still growing and developing as a leader, and I will until the day I retire. But I know what I'm doing now, and I have the self-confidence that I know what I'm doing, and I know how to run a hospital, and I know how to be a leader. And um, that courage has come um, as a result of the confidence that I now have. Yeah, so your experience has just I guess, equipped you over time to, to really handle these situations in a more powerful way. So how do you think your willingness to directly confront those things, microaggressions, macroaggressions, inappropriate kinds of interactions, how does that shape the culture of your hospital? You know, it shapes it in a few ways, but the first of which is, um, respect, always respecting one another in this house, in this hospital, I call it the house. We always respect one another. We all have something to contribute to the well-being of the patient, from the environmental services person to the nurse, to the therapist, to the PCA, to dietary. We all, at the end of the day, take care of the patient. And being able to have direct and open and honest conversations is what saves lives. I learned that in acute care. You have to always be open and honest and direct um, because people get hurt in a hospital setting if you're not. And so it's just the best way to be. My, my staff know that I'm going to be open and honest with them and that I expect the same of them. I didn't ask you to prepare any data, but I'm just curious if you happen to know if that has any impact on patient safety or or outcomes in your facility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, When we have open, honest, and fluid communication between departments and interdisciplinary, um, it, it absolutely saves lives without any question. And outcomes are absolutely better because the the providers, the technicians, um, everybody that comes to the table and, and works in the hospital comes together and communicates to create the best care and treatment plan for that patient that is possible. And that only happens when we have fluid, open and honest communication. It's like the most basic intervention, which is communication between staff and that safety has such incredible long-term cascading outcomes for safety. It really does. It really does. I I think probably the best examples are in the OR, things like that, in the operating room. People have to communicate what their roles are, what they're doing constantly, um, what the status of the patient is constantly. And that flows into anywhere in acute care, anywhere in behavioral health, anywhere somebody's getting any kind of care. 
um, that open communication is always going to save lives, is always going to improve outcomes, um, so on and so forth. And when you started your current role or really any of your CEO positions, I mean, did you walk into organizations that had that kind of culture of safety where people were able to be honest and they had that really excellent cross-disciplinary, cross-departmental communication? You know, I've had organizations where that's been a challenge and I've had organizations where I came into um, great communication. Um, We tend to want to work in silos, sometimes in healthcare, and we really have to push ourselves to be interdepartmental and to get one department to speak to another and on a constant fluid basis. Um, But I think I've been in a good position in most organizations. There has been fluid communication. But when I come in as a CEO, I continue to grow and develop that and model that as much as possible. And how do you go about doing that? Is that something that you bring up really explicitly? Or, I mean, how do you introduce that as being so fundamental? You know, I I am pretty explicit about it. I talk about it. I have conversations about it. I say, hey, guys, we're doing no one any favors by working in silos. Is this department talking to this department? What are the relationships like? Are they meaningful relationships and are the collegial relationships? Who all is touching the patient here? And uh, what is your role in the care of that patient? And have you talked to your colleague and your counterpart? Because everybody has a piece of the puzzle when taking care of that patient. And we need all of the pieces of the puzzle. Here in behavioral health, we have nursing and we have RNs and we have something called PCAs, care assistance for kind of like a CNA in acute care. And they have some of the most vital information. They have to do 15-minute checks every 15 minutes on the patient. They know if the patient um, got a telephone call that upset them. They know if the patient has been isolating. They know all these things. And they're a basic tech. However, they have so much vital and fundamental information that they need to share with the docs, the nurses, the providers, everyone. When I, when I work with teams in distress, one pattern that I often see is the, you know, whoever has the least power in the system, whether it's the nursing assistant or a scheduling assistant, you know, someone in, or environmental services, housekeeping staff, there's usually some kind of disconnect between that lowest level and the the clinicians or the people in slightly more, you know, glamorous or recognized positions. And it's so interesting to me because it it does seem like those teams or organizations cannot move forward in constructive ways until they resolve that and build relationships at that like a bridge of relationship between the lowest level employees and the higher employees, but going all the way up, you know, all the way to the executive leadership level and then back down again. Right. You know, my dream, I always say my dream is somebody walks into my hospital and asks anybody in the hospital, what do you do? And everybody says, I take care of patients. I want the dietary person to say, I take care of patients. They provide the nutrients 
that a patient needs to do well and to heal, you know, EVS. They do the terminal cleans for each room to mitigate infection and disease when the person enters the room. And so everybody literally takes care of patients. And so my dream is somebody walks in the hospital and I ask everybody in the hospital, no matter what their position, and they say, I take care of patients. Oh, that's beautiful. That gives such dignity to every person. And I think also speaks to the interdependence because it's it's true. I mean, we cannot do our jobs. You might be a surgeon, but if no one is cleaning the OR in between patients, you're not going to have a job. So, I mean, it's exactly. just so critical. Oh, that's beautiful. So what, what is most meaningful to you about what you, what you're doing now? There's, there's two things that keep me up at night. One, if my patients are doing well and two, if my employees are doing well. And, um, I find meaning in both of them. I need that my employees are happy, um, that they are able to gain the skill sets they need to do a good job, that barriers are taken away and resources are given to them to do their jobs. And when they have that, they are well equipped to take good care of the patient, excellent care of the patient even. And that's what's meaningful to me, that the patient gets the absolute best care within these four walls possible. And the only way that I can help facilitate that happening is to make certain that my employees are well taken care of. So what kinds of resources or supports do you think are most critical or do you prioritize for your employees? Um, I do. And it depends on the employee. It depends on the department. It depends on the situation. Um, sometimes the resources needed, it's, it's monetary. You know, they need a new piece of equipment fairly quickly. Um, Sometimes um, there's an extra training that's needed. Sometimes a word of encouragement is needed. It really just depends. And how, how about those newer leaders or emerging leaders in your organization? I mean, what are the supports that you see them needing or that you take, take extra care to provide to really help them flourish in their role? You know, it's a, a few things there. When I think of um, emerging leaders, I think of what I would have liked to known when I was an emerging leader and someone would have told me. And so I'm pretty candid with my emerging leaders. And I'm, I'm always telling them, be mindful of how you show up as a leader. Be mindful of um, and understand how you're perceived. And to have that emotional intelligence and understanding what blind spots you do because you have, because we all have blind spots and knowing how you're perceived because intent is really nothing. It's the perception of people that really matters. And you need to understand how do you show up to work? How do you show up as a leader? I tell them, you know, mitigate that negative self-talk. We all have that. It destroys confidence. It really does. Um, I tell them really learn their craft so that no one can tell them that they don't have the skill set or the acumen to do their job. So it's important that they yield good work and they check it twice so that the product and the service is good 
excellent if possible. Yeah, that self-awareness piece just seems, I mean, I know it is so foundational and, and yet from experience, I know it can also be really challenging. I'm thinking of mm-hmm. one experience where I you know, was meeting with my team and was particularly passionate about something and I was not aware of how I was coming across. And someone came to me afterwards really upset and felt like, you know, like I had been personally criticizing them or something like that. And I was so taken aback because it was so far from my intention. And yet in that moment, I was so caught up in my own stuff that I wasn't really watching body language or observing, paying attention, like recognizing that there were clear signs of distress based on my (laughs) behavior. Like, oh dear. So, I mean, how do you how do you empower your leaders, I guess, to, to have those moments where maybe things don't go very well and to learn from them and to move forward? You know, I, I tell them to garner feedback, especially when they're young in their career and people are willing to be absolutely candid with them with regards to feedback. Um, and I, I tell them, ask for it um, so that you can become aware of how you show up and how you present. I'm a person that that lifelong learning is really important to me. I tell them to stay current in their literature, their magazines, their podcasts, their books, um, things like that, because healthcare has been said to be the most, well, American healthcare has been said to be the most complex industry in the world. And, um, you know, we have all these payers. We don't have a national payer system. We have for-profit, not-for-profit, rural, urban, suburban, um, military, non-military. We have all these kinds of healthcare organizations, and it's almost impossible to stay on the up and up if you're not constantly being a lifelong learner. And I think that's also really important as well. So really just encouraging them to have that learning mindset. This is an ongoing, lifelong process instead of- It really is. Yeah. I mean, that's such a beautiful, I think, developmental approach to allow people to have growth and also encourage them to seek it out really at all times. So have you, um, I mean, have you noticed any differences in leaders within your organization or in terms of their own diversity characteristics or things that might make some leaders kind of struggle to have the like the level of authority that that they really need or or just you know other challenging things that you really thoughtfully need to address um you know that's an interesting question um within my organization i'm 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 really lucky to have some really good strong leaders but i i think it all comes back to that self-awareness um You've got to give respect to garner respect. Um, you've got to know your craft. You've got to be able to build strong and meaningful relationships in this field. And that's with you know subordinates as well as your supervisors. Um, I think being a team player and being easy to work with is important. There are all kinds of different personalities in this world, and you'll find all of them within the four walls of a hospital. (laughs) And I think um, 
getting along with people and being a team player is a skill. And it's, it's an important one. People who try to be leaders and who aren't very good at it are always telling people that they're the leader. And there's this wonderful book that's called Lions Don't Have to Roar. And, you know, if you're the leader and you're doing what you need to do, which is modeling and walking the walk and talking the talk and building those relationships and doing all these myriad of things that leaders do, you don't have to announce that you're the leader because everybody knows that you are. So you it's sort of like people coming to just rest in themselves and their own identity instead of resting or investing in their role or the fact that they may or may not be influencing others in their organization. Right. And, you know, nobody's going to be the exact same time, type of leader as the next person. You know, I, my mentor was a six foot Caucasian male and I first in my career tried to be him and it just didn't work. And I thought, hmm, I'm not going to command respect the same way that he does. We look different. We speak differently. We come from different cultural backgrounds. And I learned to be comfortable in my own skin and to lead my own way that makes sense for me. And that's powerful in the skin that I'm in. That's one of the lessons that I have learned having people I supervise is I, I think very early on, I was expecting them to do things like I did. And then it, it became really clear quickly, like actually, it's so much more powerful when they can do things their own way, which is far more effective. And they'll, they will never remember what I would do in a situation anyway. That's just not going to get them anywhere. Exactly. But it's, I mean, it's so empowering and it's so much more fun and creative, at least from like the mentoring side. Um, and then for me personally, you know, learning how to just lean in, relax and be myself instead of trying to put on a persona. Yeah, I say, I always say in, in, in my talks, I say, I think it was Oscar Wilde that says, um, be yourself, everyone else is taking <laughs> And it's just so true. No one's going to make a better me than me. So I might as well make the best me that I possibly can. Oh, that's a beautiful quote. So what are some of the other things that you wished that you had known as a young emerging leader? Understanding the gravity of my actions and my words as an executive and as a leader. I didn't understand that in my first CEO role. There's a lot of um, gravity and, and importance in, in knowing the role and what you say and how you say it. And people are listening and they're watching and they're looking. And it's important that you're aware of what you're saying and that it comes out in positiveness and in kindness. I think one of the biggest things I've learned is to always be kind even in crucial or difficult conversations, because it costs you absolutely nothing. And it's just the way that I think we should do things. I think it's important to hone in on those, those soft skills because, you know, you can do pivot tables for an Excel spreadsheet, or you can read the financials, or you can operationally implement something. Um, and you can be, 
a, a good CEO from that standpoint, but learning those soft skills is just as important. And that's that, that intangible stuff, that trust, that building those meaningful relationships, that active listening skill, all of those types of things are just as important, if not more important than the other. Because as a leader, you have a sphere of influence. And it's important to take that seriously and use it for good. I'm really hearing that theme of intentionality that you mentioned earlier. It just, it's so powerful. So is there one example of a a pretty major systemic or organizational challenge that you ran into that you were able to overcome? I think in a previous organization, there was a culture of providers not necessarily communicating adequately with staff. Um, And it was a big issue. And I had to facilitate those relationships being built. And it's important that the providers and the nurses and the therapists and everyone, they know each other well enough to be able to work together, to be able to communicate, and to be able to take care of the patient in the best way possible. And so I would say in my career, the biggest hangups or the biggest barriers have been that lack of communication and having to facilitate that to have happen. So can you just say a little more about I mean, what, what you did or how you approached that to create ch- change or transformation in how people were communicating? I know that is, I mean, honestly, communication challenges are like the number one complaint of all hospital employees everywhere. Yes. <laughs> I literally had them sit down and talk to one another. And we had different team meetings and interplanary, um, uh, interdisciplinary team meetings. And um, we had lunches, lunch and learns. And we had just any opportunity for them to get together. You know, once you know somebody's kid's name, it's really hard not to communicate with them or to dislike them. You know, once you know what their, their hopes and their dreams are and you you know what's important to them. It's really hard not to continue to grow that relationship or to not communicate with them because you know them as an individual and as a human being at that point. So it was a lot of sitting down and just getting to know each other. So going back to the absolute basics, those foundational relationships. Oh, that's that's beautiful. And I, I love that you had so many different strategies for getting people into the same room together. It's not just, you know, something formal, but all these different ways to help them rub shoulders. Exactly. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you can always have the conversation around the patient because everybody's there in some way, shape or form to change a person's life. And so when you hear well, why did you get into medicine? Why did you get into medicine? Well, what prompted you? What prompted you? You learn those stories and those commonalities and people tend to come together when it's around the patient. Bringing people together with that shared mission or shared values, shared purpose. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, that's really where community engagement starts and and creating a community is how, you know, bringing people together and helping them see what they have in common and then how they can move forward from there. Exactly. So do you have any final tips that you'd love to share with women leaders, with emerging leaders? I think don't sacrifice your dignity or integrity ever. Like I said, people are watching and they want to know what sometimes people will will observe what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate. And so it's important that you don't tolerate things that are destructive or inappropriate or things like that um, because people are watching and they're watching your integrity. I think it's important to know that uh, on your worst day and you'll have that you're still adequate. It's important to know that if you find yourself in a position of executive leadership, that it's likely you worked really hard to get there. And so on your worst day, you're still adequate. You still deserve to be where you are. That doesn't mean you don't work hard. That doesn't mean you don't continue to be a lifelong learner. But sometimes your confidence can be shaken. And you need to remember that you worked hard to get where you are. Um, that you need to continue to to hone and to work on your skill sets and to do your own professional development as you go through your career. Professional development is absolutely key, and there's so many ways to get it these days that your skill set is the management of people and the management of operational things and the management of dollars And you need to be able to to manage all of those in a way that makes sense, that behooves the staff, that behooves the patient in the end. But that's your skill set, and you need to hone that. Those are beautiful words of encouragement. So my final question for you is, what keeps you connected to joy in your work every day? You know, I think fitness and staying strong is important. Um, I like to work out. I love to read, stretching the mind, the brain, the body, all of that kind of thing um, gives me the energy to do the hard work that we do as executives. Um, I find joy and meaning from mentoring. Um, They teach me as much as I teach them. And I'm constantly learning from my mentees. And being sincere in relationships where I can be a, a, a sounding board and to help people grow, I think I I get a lot of meaning from. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and for sharing your time and wisdom and experience. I'm, I'm so privileged and honored. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been fun. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Menders. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe leave a review and share this episode with a friend. And don't forget to head on over to MendingHealthSystems.com to get started creating cultural transformation for your healthcare team today. Let's create transformation magic.